0: Can your savings weather
1: an economic storm? There are very few physical assets you can invest in that are proven to stand the test of time. Gold has withstood as a valued form of money for millennia. And Birch Gold lets you convert a retirement account into a tax-sheltered IRA and physical gold. That doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. Text COAST to 989898 and claim your free info kit on gold. Text COAST to 989898 and secure your savings today.
0: Now, here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio.
1: And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie, along with Michael Franzese. His book, his latest one, is called Mafia Democracy, How Our Republic Became a Mob Racket. What did you see, Michael, to write that book?
3: Well, you know, listen, being in that life for as long as I I was, it was all about power, control, and money. That was the bottom line. That's, That's what Cosa Nostra is all about. And I saw the same actual pattern in our government, you know, very Machiavellian. um, And the similarities, George, are so uh, so glaring to me. You know, we talk about, uh, you know, uh, lobbyists and the role that they play, how they basically bribe our politicians. We talk about how, you know, many of our politicians come in with blue collar assets and go out as multimillionaires And, you know, and I point this out, uh, George, I want you to understand some. I did a lot of research here. Everything I say in this book is backed up. We talk about the price of overregulation, how it's just choking small businesses and and basically putting money in our politicians' pockets, campaign financing, term limits, you know, something I totally believe in. You know, you got (laughs) to, I mean, you got to be a multimillionaire, almost a billionaire, you know, as far as raising money in order to run for the office of presidency today. And where does that money come from? It comes from people that you later on owe favors to. You know, we talk about all of this, and it's so Machiavellian. You know, I'll tell you something that really, really got to me when I thought of it. When I was in prison, almost required reading uh, for every mob guy is the book The Prince, written by Machiavelli, because that was kind of the ideology that we had on the street. You know, Machiavelli said something. He said so many things that were quotes that stuck out in my mind. And when he said something to uh, one quote that he said when he was advising his prince how to maintain control of his kingdom, he told the prince, he said, You can do anything you need to maintain control. You can lie, you can steal, you can cheat, you can even kill, because the important thing is maintaining control. However, to the outside world, to all the people, you must always appear to be. Upright, honest, and having integrity. And I point out in our in this book just how our politicians are following that ideology in everything that they do. And I, look, I don't want to throw a blanket over everybody. That's not right. I'm talking about the system. Yes. This is not you know, me trying to make somebody a Republican or a Democrat or anything else. This is a bipartisan book taking a look at the system and how it has corrupted itself. But uh, And all I want to do is I want to make people aware of this. And what's been satisfying to me, I mean, the book has hit the bestseller list on both Amazon and um, Barnes & Noble. Good for you. But, you know, that's great. But what's satisfying to me is that the comments that I'm getting, the reviews that are writing, people are really getting it. They're seeing it. They're saying, you know, Michael, these are things we always suspected, but it was never pointed out the way it's been pointed out in this book. And what's the end result? What do I want people to do? Hold them accountable. You know, George, you know this, I'm sure, in our daily lives. You get somebody you know, close to you, they lie to you once, okay, you give them a pass. Second time, it starts to bother you a little bit. Third, fourth, and fifth time, that's it. You know, you're not going to take it any further. We see our politicians making promises, campaign promises, get into office, either totally reverse themselves or break it, and what do we say? All right, that's politics. No, that's not politics. That's lying. That's deceit. You know, that's that's untrustworthiness and we should hold them accountable. You know, you boot these people out of office and that's what I want people to do. Watch for it. Hold them accountable when they're not doing the right thing for the good of the people and the nation. Throw them out and put people in there that that are going to do the right thing, because that's all we can do.
1: And we've had some great politicians as well, right?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. We have. But I don't I don't know if it's a sign of the times. I'll I tell you this, George. I just turned seventy one. I've been around a long time. I've never seen this country so divisive as I'm seeing it now. And it starts at the top. You know, and I'll say this. I mean, I did support Donald Trump only because I believed in his, uh, his policies for America. I thought, were good. Mm-hmm. Not a personality thing with me. And it's nothing personal. Who's doing the best for my country? Because I have children. I have grandchildren. When I'm gone, I want this to be the same America I grew up in. And, you know, but he too, too divisive you know, all of these people, they like name-call each other, they do these things, and it's down to, you know, people in their everyday lives, and that's where this divisiveness comes from. It comes from the top. You follow the leaders in many ways, and it's got to stop.
1: I told it's people that happen. he would have won re-election had he stayed off Twitter and started, stopped badgering people and everything else.
3: George, you're absolutely right. You know, if he, a year before this if he would have said you know what i'm not stooping to that level i'm not going to be knocking people i'm not going to respond to this i think it would have been a different outcome i totally agree with
1: you on that no question about it mafia democracy how our republic became a mob racket is it safe or is it dangerous for you to still talk about the mob these days
3: well listen you you know george I, i believe it's safe i mean i'm still here i walked away from that life formally i mean you know, and I really consider myself out of the life, it was in 95. And, you know, it was touch and go for me for a couple of years. People were upset with me. And look, I never sell my former associates short. They're very capable. But everybody that I ran with is dead or in prison for the rest of their life.
1: There were, there um, were some you know, huge mob wars in New York over the years, weren't there?
3: Well, we had a big, you know, and most of the time they were in our family because the Columbo's, unfortunately, we were at war quite a bit we had the last war we had was 91 to 94, and I was in prison at the time, and um, I think 13 guys were killed. Oh, my God. Three guys went to prison, and another 18 earned government informed. So it was devastating to that family at that time. I mean, they're still there, uh, but it's not what it was during my day.
1: And in those days, did they make most of their money in, what, gambling, prohibition, stuff like that?
3: Well, you know, I mean, obviously, no. Pro, I say this all the time, and you can take this to the bank. It was the government that really created Cosa Nostra as the organization that it is. Because before that, there were a bunch of guys running around doing, you know, minor rackets. When Prohibition came in, and they were smart enough to take advantage of it because they were giving people something that they wanted, but they couldn't get over the counter. Well, they became multimillionaires. And that's what started to make this organization grow into what we see today as modern causing australia mafia in this country. And then, look, you know, I mean, I had created something along with a partner. Um, other people were doing it, but I think we perfected it. And where I had a scheme to defraud the government out of tax on every gallon of gasoline, we ran it for about eight years. At the height of my operation, we were bringing in close to $10 million a week. A week? tax money. My so we were God. Doing And that was that was eventually I was indicted for that and and went to prison. But uh, it was very lucrative. Um, You know, we we were doing things that, uh, you know, (laughs) they were pretty sophisticated schemes. I'll tell you this. So it's not all about, you know, I think a lot of people think it's all about banging heads and, you know, hurting people. It's not about that. I mean, there's a lot of guys that were pretty sophisticated in their dealings and they understood how to use the life to benefit them in business. And I think I was in that category.
1: You have recognized social media. I've got some people who have emailed me today about you saying that you're huge on YouTube.
3: Well, George, you know, during the pandemic, I'm a speaker and I've been speaking pretty proficiently for, you know, over 20 years now. But during COVID, I had over 40 some odd dates that were postponed like everybody else. And I was with my team and I said, well, what are we going to do now? And You know, I wasn't totally into YouTube and all the social media, but they said, let's start a YouTube channel. And I kind of was against it for a moment. Fortunately, they out, uh, you know, they overruled me and we started a channel and and uh, it just blew up. You know, we've been very fortunate in that regard that people like the content and we're very thankful of that. And so we've kept it going.
0: Good for you.
2: Join us as we try to solve a 35 year old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: We started talking about this incident drugs and uh, officials
4: cover up. <laughs> a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: When you wrote the books, and the first book was uh, Quitting the Mob. What was it yeah. like for you to do that? I mean, to just tell it, it the hard. way it was?
3: It was hard, George, because, you know, I mean, this may sound crazy, but when you become, when you take that oath, it really becomes a part of you. I mean, the mob is not a business. It's a whole subculture from everything else that exists. And we have our own rules, our own policies. We affect our family, everybody around us. So it's embedded in you. And, of course, I grew up under my dad, who was you know, one of the last old-time guys that died with his boots on. I mean, he did 40 years in prison. He was released at the age of 100. He died at 103. He was the oldest living mob guy in the world at the time of his death. So I mean, I grew up under that influence. So it was very, very hard for me to say these things. But you know, I became a person of faith, and I just felt in my heart it was the right thing to do. But even in writing the book, it wasn't about me hurting people. I don't try to, you know, uh, badmouth anybody or, or do anything like that. I just write write it as it is and told the truth about the way things were. And and uh, you know, I don't I don't know if you know this, George, but. I have spoken all over the world, from Singapore to Australia. I have a 25-city tour coming up in the United Kingdom beginning in July. I I could not believe just how um, amazed or or interested people are in this genre. Oh, it's huge. I'm fascinated by it because you're part of the life. You know, that's your life. You don't really think about it in that way. But when I got out of the life and I saw how interested people were in it, it was fascinating to me. And you know that's because of the media and the movies and and you know guys like John Gotti who are bigger than life to most people. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a fascination with this life all over the world.
1: Were you related at all to Joe Colombo?
3: Well, Joe Colombo was. I wasn't related to him physically, but I grew up knowing him very well because my dad was his underboss. Uh huh. So I knew his yeah his sons Anthony and Joey. I was very close with Joe Jr. And uh, I I can tell you this, you know, I I got a little bit emotional because I'm watching this show, The Offer. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yeah. It's the, yeah, it's on Paramount Plus. But um, I just watched the episode where Joe Colombo was shot at the Italian American Civil Rights League rally, the second one that we had. I was very active in the lead. I saw it as a way to help my dad get out of prison. But I was there when Joe Colombo got shot. He had just handed me a number of brochures to hand out On uh, somewhere around Columbus Circle, and I had walked away. I was heading down from the stage when the shots rang out, and he went down.
1: When I saw it
3: on the show, I mean, it wasn't staged properly in the show because it was a much bigger event than the show has it, but kind of got to me a little bit just thinking about that day and what happened with him because I liked him a lot. I mean, he was was a good man.
1: Was he good for the community, even though he did what he did?
3: Uh, You know.
1: God, he was, uh, wasn't he?
3: Well, Gotti, look, we were always all good for our neighborhoods. They loved us in our neighborhood because we took care of it. There's no crime in our neighborhood, and we took care of the people. So, you know, yeah, there's neighborhood, they love Gotti. They love Joe Colombo in the neighborhood. Uh, and same with my dad and myself in Greenpoint, where we grew up. I mean, they loved us there and until today. But, you know, unfortunately, I think the league went to Joey's head a little bit, and it started to be a little bit of a money-making deal for them. Uh, It's amazing how quickly that league grew. In the second-year rally at Columbus Circle, we had over 50,000 people there. It was unbelievable. That is huge. We had strong influence.
1: I got to hear you use use, use this phrase. Could you just say, forget about it?
3: Forget about it.
1: (laughs) Why do they (laughs) use that? They all say that, don't
3: they? Uh, uh, All the time. You know how many times we've said that? You know how many times people have asked me to say that? (laughs)
1: Everything was forget about it. Favorite mobster actor. Who would that be?
3: I, I got two. Uh, well, l- let me name three to be fair. All right. Armando Asante and Armand that Gotti HBO movie. He was number one for me. Second, I thought Al Pacino and Donnie Brasco. I thought that was his best role. I knew Lefty Ruggiero pretty well. He, he was just terrific. He portrayed... A typical mob guy of that stature, like nobody else. He was terrific, and then of course Joe Pesci. You gotta love him. I mean, Pesci's great. He's just he just electrifies in every scene that he's in. He's unbelievable.
1: Yep, he really is. He's he's magical. That uh, they they do a great job in the the actors. The uh, director Martin Scorsese. He what a great director he is, isn't he?
3: Brilliant, brilliant, really brilliant.
1: Now, for people who want more information, I've got your website as your name. We've got it linked up at com. Do you take emails, Michael, through your website?
3: I, I do. And also, for anybody that uh, that's interested in the book, they can go on MafiaDemocracy.com, and we'll give them a free chapter. They can read it. And then the book is available on, uh, obviously, Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and all the, uh, all the Internet sites. They can go on. But we'll give them a free chapter, MafiaDemocracy.com. And yes, my website is michaelfrancis.com. I do take emails, so we get a lot of them, and we try our best to answer them all.
1: How strong do you think the mafia is today compared to 30 years ago?
3: I'll tell you, the, the golden years of Cousin Austria in this country were from the 50s to the mid-80s. That's when we had so much control, and I can get into detail on that, but we, we don't have enough time for that. But when Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani, started to effectively use the racketeering statute, the Bail Reform Act, the Sentencing Reform Act, that was really the beginning of the downfall of that life. And uh, they took a lot of the control away, you know, with all the forfeiture statutes that they have under RICO. RICO is a devastating law to the mob. And uh, Giuliani used it effectively. And uh, it's nowhere near what it was during my day or during the fifties again to the mid eighties, but it's, it's not gone away. It still exists. And I will tell you this, George, when you see corruption in government, guys on the street are very aware of that when they see that they can get into the pocket or the arms of of a politician, believe me, they will act because we had a lot of political favor back then. I don't know if you know this, but you know, Frank Costello, uh, they called him the prime minister he owned politicians. Yep. We're aware yeah. of that. And the more corruption you see at the highest level, the more the mob will gain control in that sector. Trust me on that. And I see it happening now.
0: Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.